This is the Annex of Sociology podcast. I'm Joe Cohen. I'm Leslie Hankson. And I'm Sarah Patterson. Today, our guest is Mary Beth Stout from the University of Northern Iowa. Mary Beth recently published Girls Just Want to Have Fun Too, Complicating the Study of Femininity and Women's Leisure in Sociology Compass. Today, Science Communication and Power Dynamics. Our discussion was recorded on November 12th, 2019. Yeah, so this was a story a year and a half ago. Like I said, I'm clearly stuck on this issue <laughs> as, as a Twitter user. Um, this really stuck out to me. So basically the story is that Instagram or people are scientists are using Instagram a lot too. You know, there's a lot of people on Twitter at TikTok apparently is the new thing among really? the, the youth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's a real big push. And so what happened is there was this person named Science Sam, I think, and she was posting like selfies in her lab um, and really just trying to make what I thought science accessible. And then there was this piece in Science Mag where another grad student was writing and saying, you know, that we shouldn't be really, you know, our selfies the way to, to articulate science to the public. And she really buries the lead in her article because she's trying to say, or at least what I took what she was trying to say is that there's this gendered component that it's mostly women who are using these platforms to talk about science. And that it's just another way that women are being burdened with um, service work in the academy, basically. Uh, but she really buries that. And so she starts off by sort of digging at this person or what is take, I mean, she even had to they had to put a little editor's note a few days later like this wasn't a personal attack <laughs> but you know and and so for me it really brought up a few issues there's first of all the gender dynamic of service work in academia which we could talk about but there's also for me what I think and and what I hear about Twitter especially because that's what I am on all the time is that <laughs> the old boys network doesn't really like it right like it disrupts this power dynamic and power network in the, the academy that perhaps some people feel like they can't tap into or that people are being given power in a way that they don't deserve yet or things like that. And so I wanted to talk about that. Mm -hmm. right. So you're, you're talking about science, people who have achieved some level of notability mm -hmm. on social media for public scholarship, basically. Right. It's like public scholarship on new media. All right. Yeah. Anybody want to take a first crack at comment to that? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of, you know, one of the first things that came to mind is, you know, sort of kind of like the backlash and the finger wagging at AOC, right? Because she's so incredibly great at mobilizing, you know, the youngins on Twitter, <laughs> right? And, you know, she uses that as a platform to actually put forth her platform. And even people within her own party, like Nancy Pelosi, basically just shaking their head and saying, this is not the way we do things, right? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the great things about AOC, regardless of whether or not you believe in all of her, in all of her policies, right, is that at the very least, she actually is expanding the conversation about and reach, right, in terms of who, who is now feeling like they can take part in conversations around politics, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you think about it, I think what she is doing is very much like what these young women are doing in trying to say, hey, you know, science is great, right? And people mm -hmm. who look like me, right, mm -hmm. are yeah. here in the lab 
doing this kind of stuff, right? And it's mm-hmm. not weird and it's actually fun. So, hey, keep following me and let's keep talking about science. Let's keep normalizing, you know, sort of being part in scientific research, right? And mm-hmm. expanding scientific knowledge. Let's normalize that for women in ways mm-hmm. that it hasn't been. Right. And for me, it's like we're I see us, I see academics as public servants, even if they're in private schools. And so we deserve, or the public deserves to hear about our research. And so I think that these are accessible ways for us to reach outside of paywalls and things like that. You know, open science is another issue that's coming up a lot, especially on Twitter. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) but yeah, it's an issue of how are we getting our information out um, and how how is the public getting access to it. And I think if we go and we say, oh, my findings were robust to, you know, like, like my, my mom, no offense, she's an intelligent, intelligent woman, but I don't talk to her like that when I talk to her about my research, right? you know? And so I think it's also a skill. Like, I think it's being degraded, but I think it's also a skill to be able to say like, here's my really intensely complicated findings. And here I've made them very accessible and simple for people to understand. Yeah. Well, so how much of that do you think is sort of like, so number one, I'm sorry to have to say this, but quite a few of us in the academy don't actually have really great social skills, right? So how much of this is also like, hey, 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 right? You can't start throwing in this new skill set, all right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, let's shut this down right now. And then also number two, I think that in many ways, we are invested in making our work remain as opaque as possible right to the general audience because that keeps us as being the specialists right Right. and the holders of all knowledge right and so I think that there is also this kind of like turf war going on here saying yeah 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 let's just uh, let's keep them just ignorant enough so that we all have to explain it to them right some Mm -hmm. other place Mm -hmm. I mean it's on the one hand it's that we're in a very very intense period of anti-intellectualism and we've been in that place for a while oh yeah so we're riding the waves of that but we also see that interestingly women are using technology in a way that's reaching out so I think that it's the technology is being used in a very gendered way so it's being used to help and educate and simplify and make make us as uh, scholars more accessible some people really don't want that some people do want that mm-hmm. and as we are finishing our dissertations, we're all encouraged to do the elevator speech. And why are, why does that go away when we continue in our careers? So I always tell my students, if you can't explain it, you know, imagine that I'm a five-year-old and if you can't explain what you want to do, then you're not ready. And Mm -hmm. so we need to be able to talk to our family and friends and the larger public. And of course, the younger crowds of scholars are going to be doing that first because they're used to that technology or they're mm-hmm. developing that technology. So is that threatening to older generations in our careers? Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Does it mean we can't learn new tricks? I guess that's up to us. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's a very interesting situation of internal uh, critique of we're trying to reach out. What are the, but what happens if we do that? Well, what are the consequences? Is it the fear of more work? Is it the fear Mm -hmm. of being misunderstood? Is it the fear of being proven wrong? Is it the fear of, oh, gosh, I could do this too. So do we want that or do Mm -hmm. we not want that? Mm -hmm. 
I wonder how much it is that people don't like it versus credulity, right? Like when you hear a professor's got a blog, you're like, uh, <laughs> all right, maybe, maybe not, you know? I got a new blog is always like I got a new off-Broadway show. You're like, okay, maybe it's good. Chances are it's bad. And people just can't judge. And so my, my – because I do psychom. It's just one place I've decided to invest my energies. And on Twitter, I'd say it's a pretty good balance, and it reflects sort of the demographics of younger professors, mm -hmm. I think. I think it's it's a generational thing as much as a, a gendered thing. But one of the big problems that I face in Psycom isn't that people are necessarily opposed to it. It's more like they're wondering if I'm full of shit, whatever yeah. I'm doing. <laughs> Is it some bullshit enterprise? Yeah, that I'm making an excuse and I should have been doing journal articles right. all this time. I think that's really what's going on with that. But like, I think it's very real what's happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, each episode of this podcast is like three plenary sessions, ASA right. plenary sessions worth of sociologists. And even though my best podcast will never come close to delivering as much value as a great paper, mm -hmm. a really good exchange on Twitter or a great exchange on a podcast, I think it's value to the discipline is probably commensurate with like your run of the mill paper. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're going to dress up a long discussion about the replication crisis with like a thousand sites, making it like you started with Plato and ended up here mm -hmm. versus just having an informal chat among uh, industry practitioners who like discuss like practically what their concerns are. I think they're pretty much comparable. But I think that older generations might not understand it. It's not a medium that they're used to. It's not a form of information that they're used to processing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if people are so against it as much as like it's very new. Some people aren't as good at it. Some people are very good at it. And it's hard for people to understand which, uh, which output is valuable and the good output, what is its value, I think. Mm -hmm. So you think this counts as service for these scholars or do you think it counts as like public scholarship it depends on what they're doing if i am posing in let's say canadians are feel uninvited in sociology and i come on with a plaid shirt and you know whatever they're canadian sure the canadians are totally cool in science that's service because i'm re it'd be the equivalent of me you know writing a blog post encouraging young people to come into sociology or whatever it's not scholarly output it doesn't advance the discipline of sociology or the sociology, you know, it doesn't provide sociological lenses. If, however, we haven't, like, we've had amazing exchanges on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, when everybody was collectively processing the Mary Romero statement on objectivity, mm -hmm. there were real arguments being made, substantive arguments, and people came to conclusions. And, you know, the 100 people who were watching that on Twitter mm -hmm. probably were meant that a faculty member in every major department in America had somebody who was paying attention to that argument as it unfolded. It just had an informal tone. I think that's completely scholastic. Mm -hmm. I do. It's just, it's not dressed up in like the florid language and sort of gratuitous over-citation, you know, and all that pomp and ceremony. It's just normal people doing a job being like, yeah, I think this is good or this is bad and here's why. So I was just going to ask Mary Beth why she asked that question, right? Because part of it is like, oh, is it only considered service if a, if a woman does it? And then if a dude does it, then it's considered like, oh, that's public sociology. Yeah, like is Joe getting more credit than the rest of us? <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. What's 10 times zero? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that if if our discipline is struggling with it, right? And I think, I think that some places are struggling with it more than others. And I really think it's about framing it and documenting it, that kind of thing, if, if that's going to satisfy the, the powers that be in, in terms of what counts and what doesn't count. So I think it's about documentation. And there are departments out there that have evaluative uh, formats, you know, to give out to faculty and to make sure that this kind of work does count. Because I think it is important. I really am thinking about what, what's going to happen for the woman who wrote the article, hmm. right? So what's going to happen in, in the hard science department? Is it going to be praised as innovative? Is it mm-hmm. going to be shoved in as gendered service and not count? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that that's a really important question. I know that we're juggling with it ourselves and mm-hmm. lots of different departments are trying to sort it out sort of based on when it comes up rather than being proactive. I think that's a problem uh, that we need to think about, but I'm wondering what's going to happen to the women who are posting the Instagrams mm-hmm. for science. Mm-hmm. What I'm sorry, what is it called? I don't have the name. It's not science, Sam. That's the person who we're not mentioning. Uh, she, she was on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this person published in science. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Yeah. It's uh, biomaterials and biomedical engineering. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, I don't know that what counts, they're going to yeah. do. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. You know, that's so. You know, how would you counsel somebody who's doing this work? And if mm-hmm. they, does it matter at what point in their career they are? Does it? You know, there's right. lots of really complicated things that we have to think about. Because I, I do try to, you know, give clear messages. Mm-hmm. You know, what I think is going to, where I think this work fits, where I think this work fits. I think that's really important that we think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it also gets back to part of the conversation we were having earlier, right? It's like you counsel your student and you say, okay, fine, you don't want to do this too early on in your career because such and such without really like questioning why shouldn't you be able to do this early on in your career? Like this is ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It's like here's the lane that you're in, blah, 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 blah. And why, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are these old set rules, right, that were made by you know, like someone who was like, this is how we socialize our graduate students to think about their work, who then go on to get tenure and then socialize their students the same way. I mean, it's this really like crazy, like dysfunctional cycle, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you want people to publish, right, then give them the space and the resources to publish. And if Part of what helps them to publish is they get to post some stuff that makes them happy on Instagram, then let them freaking do it, right? Because it might be a twofer, number one, right? It helps them stay connected to a broader audience, right? And number two, it also helps to like spread what's going on within your field to a broader Mm -hmm. audience, which can only be good for you. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, that's my take on it. Yeah, for me, I just think, I mean, there's obviously negatives, but from what I've seen, it's like, I'm seeing research that's happening in Europe that I might not be, you know, getting that table of contents from those journals, or I might have, you know, deleted that email for that table of contents because I was overwhelmed (laughs) with email. But if somebody tweets about their their article, I'm going to see it, I'm going to read it. And obviously, you know, you're relying on the algorithms to show you those articles and those particular people. But I think that there's just a lot of avenues for putting information out to other academics, but also the public in a way that might not happen otherwise. 
I think there's some there is like brand management is part of this business. There is no question about that. Mm -hmm. And I think the activity that you do on social media can be good in to the extent that it it establishes basic name recognition for you, Mm -hmm. because that matters a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I bet you nine out of 10 sociologists who you think of as big, you only like, it's just that you recognize their name because you heard it once elsewhere. Right. Like if there's one thing I've learned in booking all these podcasts is nobody knows anybody in this business, (laughs) except for maybe like 40 people. And they don't even, it's not like they've read the work. They just recognize the name. Mm -hmm. So it's like politics. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's that. However, you can, run in social media like if if you see it as a broadcasting mechanism i think it's of little value but if you see it as like a party where you can get to know people (laughs) there are lots of people who i like met and i'm making quotes with my hands on twitter who turned out to be like they were very i originally followed them because they were like insightful or funny or whatever but it turned out they had like really smart papers and i was like very influenced by it but I met the personality first and then mm-hmm. got to know the work. So it's nice like that. The problem that you're going to run into in a lot of institutions is that let's say even your colleagues in the sociology department know you're great and they love your Twitter feed, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Chances are your promotion and you know, your promotion and tenuring or your hiring decision is going to go up through many committees. And eventually you're going to get people who don't even know the names of the journals that are involved, except for maybe three, like AJS and ASR. And what they'll do is they'll start counting articles. Mm-hmm. Like there's just a raw count because like I'll tell you in the CUNY system, the last level before you get tenure, your packet is evaluated by like this inter, not just interdisciplinary, but interdivisional committee mm-hmm. where there's like some dance professor and they don't know about, you know, what you do on Twitter or how good your article in social forces or whatever is. So they just count the lines. And I think that that might be part of where people get into trouble. It's not with our colleagues, but it's like within the institutional frameworks that decide whether or not we're promoted or hired. Is that does that reflect your your view, Mary Beth? Yeah, I think that you have again, it's all about Goffman. Gonna go back to Goffman <laughs> as always, one of my faves. I think it's how you tell your narrative. So when you're going up for tenure, you tell the story, you have control over that. You know the parameters generally about what you're supposed to do, what not supposed to do. And you can definitely color outside the lines. But I I like to think about it as cake and frosting. If you don't have enough Mm -hmm. cake, it doesn't matter how much frosting you have. So Mm -hmm. I think if you really work on the cake and you got a solid cake, you can make tons of arguments about the cake. Write me a nice narrative about your cake. And then I want to know about your frosting, but I don't want to know about the frosting first. (laughs) And I think cake sells, frosting is optional. I mean, I don't... I mean, I'm going to push back a little bit because I think that even with our own colleagues, I mean, there is this, I think, across institutions, right? And across disciplines, and this includes sociology, there is this idea that in order to be a quote unquote serious academic, right? Does I mean, and this isn't even thinking about, you know, how many publications you have. But if you've been on MSNBC too many times, right, or if you're spending too much time on Twitter, right, or whatever, like that kind of counts against you, right, mm-hmm. especially if you're junior, right, mm-hmm. and and you're coming up, right, your book may have won, like, you know, whatever, like pick, you know, a book, a book prize at ASA, right, but 
you know, if you were on CNN like five times in the past year, all of a sudden people start questioning, hmm, you know, how how scientific, how theoretical, right? You know, how methodologically sound is that book that got apart? Let's go back and look at it, right? I think that there is some idea that if you have any frosting, right, that you're just like, oh yeah, it's hiding some flaw, right? Yes. You know, the cake fell, right? And this is just a, <laughs> this is just to hide it. Yeah. So I mean, so I do think that there is that there is still that kind of impulse, you know, within academia. Period, like you know, we're meant to be serious and to the grindstone. And if you're spending any time away from your computer, right, or the field or what have you, then that's wasted time. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I agree that we send those messages. I agree that we've all felt that. And I think that that is still there. The farther away you get from your original, you know, packet mm -hmm. drop, the way that I talk about it is that your packet has to stand on its own. Mm -hmm past you. So you have to imagine that your packet is in a room with every committee member that's ever going to look at it. And it has to speak for itself that you're not going to be there. So how do you do that? And I think that if you have been on, you know, CNN so many times, that's maybe not what your narrative is about. Your narrative is about here's my book and here's why it's awesome. And here's why it makes sense to people outside my discipline. Here's why it matters. Here's what, and, you know, make it really simple. Don't jargon it up. You talk about why this matters, why this book is important, how it contributes to this literature, but why it matters outside. So that it's not just about talking within the circle of sociology and all of its, you know, divisions and, and hierarchies. The minute you leave your department, it has to make sense. And that's hard to do. So it's hard to talk about the intricacies and the importance of your cake, but you do have to talk about your cake. <laughs> You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. Special thank you to Mary Beth Stolp from the University of Northern Iowa. Her recent article is Girls Just Want to Have Fun Too, Complicating the Study of Femininity and Women's Leisure in Sociology Compass. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Twitter at Sociannex, and on Facebook, the Annex Sociology Podcast. Our producer is Lisseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. On behalf of Leslie Hickson and Sarah Patterson, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.